Amen to that. Be seated if you will, but we officially welcome each and every one here today and glad you're present. And uh, it looks like we're missing a lot of people today. Maybe they Maybe that's a good sign, maybe it's a bad sign, I don't know. But anyway, we're glad each and every one is here regardless. And those who are tuning in, we welcome you as well. And uh, trust that our time of worship today will be uh, an uplift to each and every one. And trust that life is good and you're well. And, and, uh, and you're counting your blessings that the Lord has given you and, uh, and focusing on Him. Let's pray together. Father, we, we thank you this day that you've given for us to rejoice and be glad in that you've created and we give you honor and praise for all things, knowing that you uh, understand life, you understand where we are and, and all that we're dealing with in this day's world. And we pray for your protection, your hand. We pray for your leadership. We pray, more importantly, your spirit to inundate the hearts of each and every one in worship today, not only within our, our viewing audience and within our a congregation, but all over the world as, as churches come together uh, to give you praise and honor and glory. We thank you for your touch of grace and your touch of love, and may your name be lifted up amongst all things as we honor you uh, and we worship you. In your name that we pray, amen. Well, this morning I want to bring a message to you that, that is entitled, um, The Steps to Reconciliation. Now, if anyone has ever been in a relationship and it has been a relationship that was rewarding and good and things were going well, then all of a sudden something happened and that relationship turned sour or the relationship turned to an instance to where a rift developed between you and that person. And then all of a sudden, you know, you realize that you get on top of it and you settle the issue and after a little bit of time, you were reconciled. And you know that feeling. You know how easy and how good it is to move through that process when it's taken care of in a very timely fashion. But we also know what it's like to be in relationship and something go wrong, and we really can't put our finger on it at first, and then eventually we realize what's happened, and we go through the process with the desire to change that relationship and years go by and years go by and then you, you no longer really realize why you are not reconciled with that person. We also know what it's like to have a burden on our chest and a desire to, to see love come back to that relationship. So we all know what it's like to be hurt by someone and yet, and, um, and, and wanting to maybe hurt them back, maybe to seek revenge, or maybe we've been the product of that revenge or retaliation. And even we've had angry thoughts because of the relationship that we've been in. It's interesting that in the book of Genesis, and from the very beginning of time, there was a relationship that had gone bad. Now we're not necessarily talking about the relationship between Adam and Eve and God, because God didn't do anything wrong, it was, it was Adam and Eve. But we're talking about two brothers in that of Esau and Jacob. And you look at that relationship and it becomes a relationship that begins to fester and anger becomes a part of that relationship. And then as a result of that, hatred begins to develop because of deception and trickery that happened with one of the sons to the father and Esau rises up to the occasion, and eventually Jacob will rise up to the occasion, and we'll see a relationship that is once uh, severed become a relationship that will be restored. And the joy and the honor of that reconciliation is beyond measure and really beyond description until it happens. Esau, the Old Testament character, had, had those feelings of wanting to get revenge and retaliation because his brother tricked his father of giving him, the younger brother, the blessing that was belonging to Esau. So the story of Esau and Jacob that's recorded in Genesis, really beginning in chapter 27, all the way through chapter 32, is a story like a juicy novel. And yet the brothers were born to Isaac 
sons of Abraham still within that lineage and line. And when Isaac is near death, he desires to give to Esau, the older brother of the two brothers, his blessing, which was very important. Today, we bless things all the time. And it means approval and it means acceptance. But in the biblical time, a blessing was to grant another a place of honor and status. So Jacob is seeking honor and status. He's seeking to become the big boy on the block when Esau was in line to become that. And he tricks his father into giving that honor and status to him instead of Esau. And the rift begins. And the relationship of hostility begins. And you've heard it said of many people, everything he touches turns to gold. You've heard that statement before. That's the kind of reward that Jacob was wanting because he felt as if if he had his blessing of his father, then everything that happens in his life is going to be gold. Everything's going to turn out to be okay. Everything's going to be great. And yet usually the blessing is given to the firstborn son, but in this case of that of Esau, yet the story unfolds as the scheming of his mother, Rebekah, Jacob, the younger son, tricks and deceives the father, Isaac. Now we pick up in Genesis chapter 32, and, it, and it, just reading some selected scriptures out of 32 and on into chapter 33, Jacob went on his way, and God's angels met him. Now if we stopped in the story right there, that would be a sermon in itself. That is, Jacob traveled and went on his way. The angels of God attended to him. The angels of God came to him and, and ministered to him in a powerful way. Wouldn't you love to have that in your life, that you could say that as I did the things that I've done or I'm continuing to do the things that I'm doing or the people that I see in the places I go, everywhere I go, the angels of God from heaven attend to me at that moment. That would be a wonderful story but something happens. When he saw them, Jacob said, this is God's camp. So he called that place Manaam. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Sire, the country of Edom. He commanded them, you are to say to my Lord Esau, this is what your servant Jacob says. I have been staying with Laban and I have delayed my coming until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male, female, slaves. I have sent this message to, to inform my Lord in order to seek your favor. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, we went to your brother Esau. He's coming to meet you. And he has 400 army men behind him. Whoops. A relationship looks like it's, go, it's going bad. Here in the instance is this. Jacob, his father Isaac, is becoming ill. He's drifting because he's, he served his day on the face of the earth. His father says to Esau and to Jacob, he says, my, my days are numbered. And so he's, he's, he's wanting to pass on that blessing. Well, Jacob slips in there, but kind of hides his, his scent, his looks, and he deceives his father because his father is now almost blind. So his father could not recognize the sons in their statue. And he convinces him, I am your son Esau, when he wasn't. And he wanted his dad to give him that blessing. Biblical re reconciliation is the process of two previously alienated parties coming to peace with each other. I remember in one instance, as a pastor, I was called in to sit with three sisters who were going through an upheaval in their life and had been there for so many years. And I sat there in the center of the room with the three ladies in distance apart. You would think that it was the pandemic because they sat six foot apart. They could not be in the same room together and love one another. And they asked me to come in to help them solve the problem. Like I had the magic, magic words and the magic hands 
of a problem that existed for years upon years upon years. And I sat there and I listened to each sister complain about the other. I listened to the hurtful, harmful words about the other. I listened to them have animosity, resentment, bitterness, and hatred. Three sisters that were born to the same mother who lived in the same house, who shared the same common things growing up here now as adults, could not stand to be in the same room to each other. And I basically said, listen, to all this, hours went on. And in me, my simple solution was, all three of you ladies, get down on your knees, hold the hands of one another, and pray for each other in the midst of this and ask God's intervention to invade your heart and to change your heart and turn it into love for one another. Needless to say, no one got on their knees and no love happened and they separated. Biblical reconciliation is the process to where the alienated parties come back to peace in terms of peace because God has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. Therefore, because of that great reconciliation, as that has been put in motion, we can reconcile with each other, no longer counting the offenses that we have against them. The absence of reconciliation robs the church of the power of unity. From the story of Jacob and Esau, we can learn eight steps to reconciliation. Eight steps to reconciliation. Now, Continuing on in chapter 32, when the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, we went to your brother Esau. He's coming to meet you, and he has 400 men with him. Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people with him into two camps, along with his flocks, cattle, and camel. He thought, if Esau comes to one camp and attacks it, the remaining camp can survive. Jacob said, God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, go back to your land and to your family and I will cause you to prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. Indeed, I crossed over the Jordan with my staff and now I have become two camps. Please rescue me from the hand of my brother Esau for I am afraid of him. Otherwise, he may come and attack me, mothers and their children. And the good part happens in verse 24, which is probably the most popular and remembered part of the passage of Genesis chapter 32. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled, or wrestled, whichever part of the country you're from, until daybreak. And when the man saw that he could not defeat him, he struck Jacob's hip as they wrestled and dislocated his hip socket. And he said to Jacob, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob said, I will not let you go until unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. Jacob, he replied. Your name will no longer be Jacob, he said. It will be Israel because you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. And he answered, Why do you ask me my name? And he blessed him there. Jacob then named the place Pernell, for he said, I have seen God face to face, and I have been delivered. Something happens to Jacob. Do you see the goodness that's starting to take place? Here's Esau, who's still in a revengeful, retaliating mode to come handle his brother who he knew robbed him of what his father was slated to give him. Here is Jacob, who now is the offender, who's caused all this harm, who's now had an encounter with God, and he has wrestled with him with the angel all night until the angel blessed him. And Jacob is a changed person, signified by the change of his name. And he is a new person. He realizes his fault. 
He realizes what he's done. He's realized that he has created the mess that his, these nations are living in. He realizes that the unity of the nation hinges upon his hands. He realizes everything that he has done and he's looking to God and he realizes that God has touched him. Go back to verse one. And the angels ministered to Jacob. But the problem is he don't know what's happened on the other end. And so in chapter 33, Esau, it says, now Jacob looked up and saw Esau coming toward him with 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah Rachel and two female slaves. He put the female slaves first, Leah and her sons next, and Rachel and Joseph last. He himself went on ahead and bowed to the ground seven times until he approached his brother. But Esau ran to meet him, hugged him, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him, and they wept. Do you see what happened? You see the contrite spirit. You see what happens when people take the hands of another and get on their knees and begin to pray. Do you see what happens when, when, when the, the, the warring parties begin to melt before one another and says, I have done you wrong? You see what happens when they confess before one another? Something grand happens and reconciliation occurs and peace pursues both their parties. And this is what happens when Jacob and Esau meet after many years. And so he, they both wept. And in verse 8, so Esau said, what do you mean by this whole procession I met? To find favor with you, my Lord, he answered. I have enough, my brother, Esau replied. Keep what you have. But Jacob said, no, please. If I have found favor with you, take this gift from my hand. For indeed, I have seen your face. Now listen to this. And it is like seeing God's face since you've accepted me. Do you see what happened? Here were two brothers who hated each other, two brothers who wanted retaliation, two brothers who couldn't stand to be in the same room with one another, and all of a sudden one has an encounter with God. God changes his heart. He's reconciled with God, and he realizes he must be reconciled to his brother. And the two brothers finally meet, and Jacob says, Man, your, your generosity, your grace, your love towards me, it is like me looking directly into the face of God right there before him. That's what reconciliation does in families' lives. That's what reconciliation does in an individual's life. Eight steps to reconciliation. Number one, reconciliation begins with God. It does not begin with you and me. It begins with God. As you see in the story between Esau and Jacob, it began with Jacob and God first. As the, as the angels ministered to him and began to, to give him hope all over again, Jacob went on his way and God's angels met him. What did the angels say to Jacob? Wouldn't you have loved to be been in that conversation? To be able to overhear what the angels said to Jacob. Whatever was said, it motivated Jacob to make amends, to admit his wrong, and to reconcile his brother Esau. And I believe that God works the same in our lives today. As we begin to cry out to God and say, God, what's the matter? What's the matter in this relationship that I'm living in? And God basically will, will it's going to come down to the fact that it's going to be a revealing part of our lives first before we can see any wrong action from someone else. So when we seek to enter God's presence, he reveals to us those relationships that are broken and he prompts us to move in the right direction to make them right. Could it be the reason why we do not pray for someone whom we have offended or we really do not pray for those in that broken relationship is because we know that God will reveal what's really the matter inside us. 
Could it be the reason we never are silent before God is because we're fearful that we, we will hear God reveal the people that we need to set things right with? Here's the principle. Don't seek God unless you want to make things right with others. Reconciliation begins with God. Number two in the steps of reconciliation is reconciliation comes before reconciliation with God. Now hear me right. We just said reconciliation begins with God. Yes, it begins with you and God, I and God in a one-to-one counter. It has to change us first before we could ever see the need of reconciliation with someone else. And yet reconciliation comes before reconciliation with God. Those angels showed up for a reason. The reason, I believe, was to inform Jacob that before things could be right with God, they had to become right with his brother first. If you want reconciliation with God, you have to be reconciled with one another. Here's the principle. You can't live in harmony with your heavenly father until you live in harmony with your brothers and sisters all around you. Broken ties with one another only severs relationships with others and it hinders the relationship that we have with God. And so reconciliation must begin as we, be, as we begin to put someone else at the forefront of our life. Didn't Jesus say the same thing? So if you're offering your gift on the altar, and in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and 24, it says, if you're offering your gift on the altar, and there you remember that you, your brother has something against you, leave your gift in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother and then come back and offer me your gift. Do you hear what Jesus says? Jesus says in order for you to have true, authentic, dynamic worship with your heavenly father, you're going to have to deal with the problematic area of relationships in your own life. And if there is an offense in someone else's life that's hindering you and them, then settle that issue between them and then come back to the altar. That's powerful, isn't it? Notice carefully what Jesus is saying. He's talking about coming to worship. And if you're offering that gift of money, whatever, of praise, whatever it is, remember someone who has hard and ill will feelings against you, go to that person, make it right, make amends and seek reconciliation. And here's the question. Could it be that the reason why our worship sometimes is meaningless, that our work is ineffective, that our prayers are unanswered, is because we haven't reconciled with those we have offended? Step number three, reconciliation must be intentional. There's a lot of things in life that just falls in your lap. You know, not, I don't believe in coincidence, but some things just come easy to us is what I mean. And they just fall in place. But reconciliation is a difficult task and it must be intentional. Jacob knew that he had done wrong and now he knew he had to make it right. He had to take the first step and it was an intentional step of making things right between he and Esau. Here's the principle. Taking the initiative is imperative to reconciliation. Taking the initiative is imperative to reconciliation. Restoring a cracked relationship is like mending a broken arm. If your arm is broken, you take the initiative, you get to the doctor, the doctor sets it, puts a cast on it, and the healing process begins. It's intentional that you want that arm to be healed. The same must be in relationships. They're never mended accidentally. They require purposeful, intentional action. Years ago, when I became a Christian, my mom and dad, we were living at Ocean Lakes Campground and still remember that lot, 1008. (laughs) 
And it was the five points of Ocean Lakes, which now doesn't really exist because Hugo changed it. And I walked into the room, walked into the house, and there was my father, who was a little bit intoxicated, and my mom, who was straight. And my dad stood up in such a bold and brass manner, and he said, you have become a Christian, but I'm going to take care of your mother from here on out. And the more we talked, the angrier I got, got and the angrier my father got. Because he was saying to me, you live your Christian life and I'm not going to let me and your mom do that. And so before the evening had closed, all I remember is my dad laying in the floor in his pool of blood as I beat him to a pulp. And that began the process of a relationship for 20 years that was terrible between I and my father. And 20 years later, I was asked to speak at a youth event in Garden City, at Garden City Chapel. And I was driving in early that morning and the message was designed that I had to speak about a personal relationship of love gone wrong and how love made it right. And the closer I got to Garden City, the more I thought about my relationship with my father. And I called the staff at Garden City and I said, guys, I'm not going to be there at my said time. They said, what do you mean? This thing is timed. We've got a schedule. We've got to stay on it. I said, I'm sorry. I said, you're going to understand later, but I cannot make it at the time that I'm slated to be there. Please stall. Do your best. Keep the love flowing in the room. Keep God's spirit at work. But I am not going to be there at my scheduled time. I will explain later. Please trust me. And I drove by Garden City and my mom and dad were living over in Myrtle Beach area at the time because we had moved away from there after Hugo. And of course I was married and now uh, living away. And as I came back, there was my dad sitting there in his recliner, the door open, and my mom and dad were inseparable. Hardly ever would you see my mom away from my dad or vice versa after they had got into the retirement years but my mom was not present. And I walked into the room, kind of knocked on the door, and he waved me in, and he said, what are you doing here? And I said, Dad, I need to talk with you. I said, Dad, I'm sorry for what I've done that's broken our relationship. And we went into detail. And I said, Dad, I, I don't ever remember you saying to me you love me but I'm not here to ask you to tell me that because I don't ever remember telling you I love you and so dad I'm here today to say I love you and I thank you for being my father that began the process of reconciliation through the years that was tough. It's hard to admit when you're wrong. It's hard to admit that you're at fault. It's hard to admit that you messed up when you're supposed to be representing the most powerful kingdom of all, the kingdom of God. Reconciliation is intentional. It's intentional and it is good for the soul because things changed throughout those years and I saw my dad change and I saw good things happen. Uh, he, you know, I, I, I've seen him, he would come hear me preach from time to time. I saw things change all the way to the moment he accepted Christ on his deathbed. Reconciliation is intentional and yet we might try to deny the pain, we might try to ignore the split we may even think that time heals all wounds, but it only moves the pain deeper into the surface until it affects all future relationships. 
The relationship is easier to mend when the offender apologizes. But if the offender does not admit their wrong, what then? The scriptures inform us that even the offended is to take the initiative in seeking that reconciliation. And again, to quote Jesus, if your brother sins against you, go and rebuke him in private. And if he listens to you, you have won your brother. Just between the two of you. This is one of the most overlooked passages in scripture. Too often, many of us resort to our junior high days where we, we seek out and we plead our case before our friends to validate our own feelings, to justify our own anger, and we don't go to the person who's offended us, and that needs to stop. We need to go straight to them. I held on to that all of those 20 years. Being a pastor, serving and preaching on reconciliation, trying to help people in their own problems of life, trying to be the example for others and harboring all this within my heart for so many years until I realized that my dad was not at fault. Sure, he had his faults. Sure, he did things wrong. Sure, he had hurt me. Sure, but that was not the problem. The problem was me. And I had to deal with me. And it's amazing when I left from my visit with my father, which took a probably about an hour. So I'm an hour to hour and a half late to speak to these youth. And then I stood there and I talked with them about how to be reconciled to God because God loves you. And that was the title. For the first time in my life as a pastor, I realized the powerfulness of God's love beyond measure because I could see love from my earthly father and love, of course, from my heavenly father, and I was reconciled between the two. Here's the principle. The shortest distance between two points is what? A straight line. And so the same principle is true in reconciling relationships. The, the shortest distance between two people is a straight line, a straight line that says, I am wrong. I have to be honest with you. Your actions hurt me, and I love you too much to allow that, this relationship to crumble. Let's deal with it now. Three words have been helpful to me in this encounter. Clarify, not confront. I didn't go to my father that day to clarify my position. I mean, to confront my position. I went there to clarify what I had done. I didn't go to my father for him to admit what he has done. I clarified the issue at hand that I, as his son, let him down as a father, and that I was sorry for everything that I had done. To seek first to understand and to clarify is so important. Here's the question. Could it be that some of our relationships lived in grinding silence or lived in grinding silence because we're unwilling to take the initiative in the beginning of the process of reconciliation? Reconciliation must be intentional. Number four, reconciliation must be bathed in prayer. Now, these are not necessarily in chronological order of what I'm telling you, but at the same time, we know that all this process of reconciliation has to be bathed in prayer. Reconciliation must be bathed in that prayer. In verse 9, it says, I have enough, my brother Esau says back to Jacob. Keep what you have. I don't need an outpouring of something from you to say to me that it's going to be okay. He says, I have enough, Jacob. No, please, if you find favor, if, if I find favor with you, take this gift from my hand. For indeed, I have seen your face, and it's like seeing the face of God because you've accepted me. 
Jacob prayed, maybe for the wrong reasons up to this point, but now nevertheless he prays and he prays to see exactly what he's wanting to happen. That Esau would spare his life and that Esau would be back in his life as his brother. Here's the principle. Prayer is the salve for the wounded parties. It's the lubricant for the friction to end in relationships. The reconciliation process is not a cakewalk. It will often be messy. Hearts can be hardened. Feelings can be hurt. Emotions can rise to the edge. Wombs can gap open. The offended, when approached by the offender, may look for an ulterior motive and may feel that the offender is a detainment or distraction to them. The offended must be thinking, why after all these years do you want to get together now? Why do you want to make things right after 20 years? We've learned to live with it. God needs to soften the heart. I pray, Lord... Let my father be alone when I knock on his door. Let my father be open to hear me. Let my father receive me. Let my father look at me with love. Because I must tell him I love him and that I am sorry. God needs to soften the hearts. He needs to ease the emotion. He needs to heal the wounds to bring understanding to the reconciling parties. No greater power is available for that to happen than through prayer. Prayer changes things and cha prayer changes people. Don't pray unless you want to change because it will happen. Here's the question. How does your heart need to be softened so that the healing in relationships can occur? Prayer is all about that softening. Number five in these steps of reconciliation is that reconciliation demands humility. On the morning after all these years, Esau and Jacob met. Jacob, the scripture says, bowed to the ground seven times until he approached his brother. When I walked into my dad's home, I said, Dad, I'm here and I'm asking you to forgive me. I knelt down beside his recliner with my hands on the side of the recliner, much like a small three-year-old child wanting to jump up into Dad's lap. And so I could, I could smell his breath and he could smell mine is how close we were to let him know I am wrong. I wasn't there to hear him say to me, he's wrong. I was there for him to hear me say, I am wrong. And the reason why I got on my knees is I knew the pride of my father and I knew the pride that was inside me more than was inside him. And the last time of our embrace ended up with blood all over my hand and blood all over the floor. It wasn't that I was scared of what he would do back to me because I deserved for him to give me the biggest kick and to bust my face in. I deserved it. But I came in because I felt so humbled by God that God's grace was on me and was leading me to seek this out. That had been a burden on my heart for 20 years. And so the only action I could think of was to bow before my father. Jacob bowed before Esau seven times to demonstrate his love to demonstrate that contrite heart and spirit, to demonstrate not just to save his life in all of his camp, of two camps that he divided. That was just a backup plan, not knowing how it was going to turn out. 
He just wanted to position himself because humility puts us in a position for reconciliation to occur. The price has to be paid for reconciliation and that price has to be the swallowing of pride. Bearing the hatchet, admitting you're wrong, every action of reconciliation requires that someone in the hurting relationship, preferably both parties, admit their fault and their desire to, to heal the damage. Here's the question. What steps do you need to take that would communicate humility to the person that you are estranged from? Humility is a common theme throughout Scripture and it needs to be practiced. A failure to do so not only allows fractured relationships to continue, but it puts us in opposition with God. And remember the scripture, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And that's exactly what happened between Esau and Jacob. Number six, and I must move on, is that reconciliation requires exposure. Reconciliation requires exposure. At the face-to-face -face meeting, when Esau ran to meet him, Esau hugged him, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him, and they wept. Does that sound like another passage of Scripture in the New Testament of the prodigal son? When the father ran to the son who had left his presence and went and squandered all his wealth, and squandered his life on whatever living it was, and the father received back the son, it's almost as if Esau is doing the same. He's seeing his prodigal brother come back home, and he's willing to embrace him. Reconciliation will never happen until the heart is exposed. Here's the tricky part. Whenever you expose your heart, and you, you stand the chance of having your heart broken all over again, People will let you down. They'll disappoint you. They will trample your emotions. You will find yourself crawling into shell, living in isolation. It would become easier if that was to stay that way. They're safe from the pain and the hurt of relationships, but you'll have to shut others back out. Here's the question. Do you want to go through life living in a cocoon, safe from the hurtful arrows of others, be cut off from relationships that give you life, love, and joy? Just remember, a cocoon is only a temporary spot. Eventually, you got to come out as a butterfly. Reconciliation helps you become a butterfly. Beautiful. And you fly high and you soar to greatness. Number seven, reconciliation embraces forgiveness. Jacob wanted to find favor in the eyes of Esau. He sought peace. He desired to put the past behind him. He humbled himself before Esau. He opened up his heart and he exposed everything to him. And most of all, he wanted forgiveness. Esau embraced Jacob and they held each other. I'm sure that Jacob said, please forgive me, brother. And then Esau spoke these life-changing words, Brother, I forgive you. The life-changing words that happened to me as now a father to my own children is when I stood before my father, as we stood up and we embraced, and he said back to me, I love you, my son. And that was the first time I could ever remember hearing my father say, I love you. In other words, my dad was saying, I forgive you as he embraced me. Forgiveness is not optional in reconciling broken relationships. It's mandatory in order to be reconciled to God. Here's the principle. Forgiveness involves letting go so you can live your life and you can give life back. It's not probation. It's a pardon. 
Forgiveness means that you do not require any money, you do not require any words, you do not require any actions or any payment. It means that there is no continuing resentment and is no continuing bitterness and we strive for the best for each other. When my father died, I went to his graveside and I sat there for hours, just pulled up a chair at his graveside and I talked about our entire relationship as being what I perceived as a son to a father. Talking as if I was seeing him face to face to bring total peace and total reconciliation into my life as I got all these things out at his graveside. Here's the question. Don't you think it's time to let go of those past hurts? It's not worth it. And number eight and last, and I know your stomach's growling, reconciliation is finished in restitution. Reconciliation is finished in restitution. Jacob wanted to make things right. He had harmed and wronged his brother. He had stolen his birthright. He stole his dad's blessing from him. He stole the inheritance that goes with that blessing. And notice in verse 8, so Esau said, whatever you mean by this whole procession I've met, I find favor with you, my Lord, he answered. The droves were the herds and the flocks and the cattle. Jacob was giving to Esau. He's giving him everything that he had in his life. He was trying to make restitution for the wrong that he had suffered or made him suffer. And here's the principle. Restitution is attempting to restore that which has been damaged or destroyed. Restitution is much easier when it comes to physical property, but if you take into physical property, you give it back for payment. Restitution is more difficult when you have said words that have damaged a person's life, name, and character. Here's the question. In what ways do you need to restore that which you have damaged in broken relationships? Jacob acknowledged his wrong he reconciles. Esau forgives and gives back life to Jacob. The once broken relationship is mended. Wouldn't it be nice if all relationships ended that well? <laughs> Just doesn't happen that way so often. Well, in this story, we get a glimpse of God. Notice carefully what Jacob said to Esau, for indeed, I have seen your face and it's like seeing the face of God. And this is what happens in reconciliation. When you reconcile with that brother or sister, that mom and dad, you reconcile with the person in your life, your employer, employee, whoever it is, when you reconcile with that person, guess what? You're giving them the opportunity to actually see the face of God. Wow. What a huge responsibility that we carry to be able to show the face of God to someone else. That's why I said in the middle of this, you got to bathe it in prayer. You got to be prayed up in these situations. You see, if you want to know what the face of God looks like, go to the one you've offended and ask for forgiveness. And you'll hear them say, you are forgiven. When forgiveness is extended to the brother or sister who has wounded us, it's like we see God. So not only can they see the face of God through us, but we can see the face of God through them. Think about it. We have broken relationships with God from time to time. We sin, we hurt God greatly in our disobedience, we rebel, and we go to God and we ask for forgiveness and we realize that God forgives us for all eternity. Why can't we do that with the person we love, that we live with, that we're around, that we see? Instead, like Esau, God comes to us through His Son, Christ, embracing us, calling us brothers and sisters and saying, I forgive you. So don't hold your sins against someone else when God says, I'm not going to hold your sins against me. We're more like God when we forgive than any other time in our life.
as God has forgiven you, you are to forgive those and I am to forgive those who have hurt us. As God has reconciled with you, you are to be reconciled with others. As God has forgiven you, you are to forgive those who hurt you. And as God reconciled with you, you are to reconcile with others. That's the joy of being placed in position of being the face of God to others and others being the face of God to us. So is there someone you need to reconcile with? Then why not, why not start today? Why not start today and, and to, to allow God to do something powerful in your life? Or do you need to reconcile with God? Maybe you've been estranged from God and, and you don't know Him. There's no greater time than to submit your life to Him. Those who are listening in, I say to you as well, you know, just, just get down on your knees right where you are. There's no one around you in your home. There's no one to point their finger. No reason to be ashamed, but cry out to your Abba Father and say, Lord, I give you my life. I've sinned against you and I need your forgiveness. Great news is God's waiting for that to happen. He's waiting for the brush of life to be introduced into your life greater than what you could ever imagine. However the reconciliation applies to your life or to mine, there is life after brokenness. And there's life after the amend. There's life after the wrong. There's life after the hurt. And there's an embrace of love waiting to surround you. Thanks be unto God for the reconciliation that we have with Him. Let's pray together the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew and listen closely what we're asking about forgiveness. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.